we came to a sudden stop in Central City. Maybe a bit further away from the coast than we expected, but a welcoming place, where the villains had gimmicks like matryoshka boxes and golden trash cans. The seeds of the rogues had been planted, yes, but for now, Barry Allen toured us around a fun city. And with no sign of a crisis on the horizon, we settled down in the park, ready to hear his stories. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh man, more Flash. Yep. This is the second uh, of our episodes covering uh, Silver Age Flash. Uh, Hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're liking it. Because honestly, getting the Justice League has been really fun. We have more availability, uh, you know, uh, more material available to us that has the team like you know finding golden age adam golden age hour man things like that was harder to do and that's why we weren't able to get those characters before we did the jsa um so we gave you a brief reminder but when we do a jla book we'll go through who's who and what's what again so that you remember but you'll probably be more familiar because you've been listening to these episodes Mm -hmm. um and it's I think it's all going to be under the same editorial umbrella because I it think it be, is yes. Julius Schwartz. It should be Schwartz as well under that as well. Um, that being said, next episode will probably be Martian Manhunter because Green Arrow is not yes. on the JLA. Um, first, really? yeah, he's not a founding member of the JLA. I guess yeah. Now that I think about it, that's he's never been portrayed as one of them. Right. Huh. So it's going to be Martian Manhunter next, and then we'll probably do the Trinity. And then we'll do JLA, mm-hmm. or at least uh, we we have the Batman Showcase Presents volume, but that volume actually goes for like in the late '60s, mm-hmm. so it's a little further beyond where we are with everybody else. So we we're gonna do World's Finest, uh, which starts more in the '50s and up into the '60s. So you can get just a, an idea of what Batman's like in the Silver Age before we jump right into Batman, which is like five or six years beyond where all of these books are happening. Because we kind of want to keep everything on a similar timeline. Just for our ease, jumping around too much is a little bit more confusing because, you know, maybe six years from now with Batman, maybe some major Flash stuff has happened or Green Lantern things, and those might come into play when they do the cross books. Even more than that, uh, if by, I want to say, 64 is when uh, Julia Schwartz does the big revamp right. of Batman... Like, I mean, that's the thing. We haven't seen... None of the Trinity are going to have had the Silver Age moment like we've had with Aqu- Aquaman to a degree, but yeah. especially Flash and Green Lantern. They're, they were continuous. Right. I think also, debatably, and no one's going to have the amount of restructuring that GL and, yeah. and Flash have had, just in general. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds... I, I'm looking forward to seeing what it actually winds up playing out as, but it, it sounds like there's at least a pretty major like status quo change well, uh, in Batman, there, uh, but we'll see. There is also for Wonder Woman, we will get to this eventually, but she does not have powers at a certain point. Oh, yeah. Uh, Denny, o, Denny O'Neill's, it's Denny O'Neill's run. They like stop her from having mm-hmm. powers, and that's a weird thing. And we'll yeah. get to she that. She goes when we through get a whole it. period where she's like a secret agent or something. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole shtick. But <laughs> coming back to 1959, where we left off with the Flash, we're actually got to get s- back back to the past. Yeah, uh, Samurai Jack. We know what we're talking about. You guys don't, but we do. <laughs> so, did, did they not? No, they might actually. Samurai Jack, depending on our our audience, probably was around the time, depending on who's listening to this and who watched Adult Swim and Tsunami. Yeah, I, I guess that was like. Mid 2000s, roundabout, yeah. Wow, right. Yeah. So remember when I said Flash Comics stopped in the Golden Age at number 104, which is February 1949. So we're actually going to pick up with Barry, where they kept the numbering system, which is a little odd. It's a little odd because they didn't do that with Green Lantern nor with Aquaman. But then again, we haven't seen an Aquaman book. But we're going to start with Flash number 105. Yes, Joanne, I know. We're going to try and keep this a little tighter. We've been ignoring you, and I'm sorry, but it's mainly because it's freaking me out how different you are from your original version. So, Flash number 105, March 1959. Uh, This was a weird story. That's the start of this book. Barry fights a prehistoric metal man who puts himself into a stasis tube to avoid the death of his civilization when it occurs in the past, and then is found again and resurrected. His name is... Katmos. 
and that's about it. It's just a weird Barry stops a metal dude with speed things. It's not really noti- notable. I haven't ever seen Catmus ever again. Uh, it, it definitely felt like one of those one-off stories. Throw away, guys. Um, however, the second story within Flash number 105 is one of my favorite Flash villains, the Mirror Master. So it's the first appearance of Mirror Master where he uses a light developing ray to make physical hard light copies, like mirror reflections of people, and uses them to commit crimes. Um, But Barry, of course, figures out that because he's a reflections, they require light and uses his abilities to get rid of the light supplying these mirror image people and effectively defeats the Mirror Master. And I really liked the the reason that... uh that uh, Barry clues in on this to begin with is he notices that the person is wearing a wedding ring on the other hand yeah. parts his hair the other way. It's like, all right, you know, yeah, no, I'm a, done with that. He's a forensic scientist. He would notice these little details. And I liked that the the weird monsters that the Mirror Master brought up to fight Barry were a giant mosquito yep. and a incorrect minotaur. The wrongest of all yes, minotaurs. It was so strange. I actually had to go back and look at like historical or past uh, portrayals of the Minotaur. And no, it is still full human body with the head of with a bull. head. As compared to having hoof arms. It's got, like T-Rex it, arms. Yes. It was the and weirdest it's thing. It's on our Instagram if you want to look at it. It's the most unsettling Minotaur I've ever seen. Because it's like got man legs... But a minotaur upper, but like a, a bull upper body, and I'm like that is incorrect on so many levels, and it, it makes me uncomfortable. You know what? You know what it's like. It's uh, the opposite uh, mermaid or opposite centaur. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like no, this is just not no, this is not how mm. this works. No, something is wrong about this, and I refuse. Uh, we're gonna move now to Flash number 106, May 1959, the first appearance of Gorilla Grodd. Now yeah. Grodd has been using his force of mind or mind reading abilities to try and find. Uh, Solovar, who is a gorilla from Gorilla City, like Grodd, who has gone out into the world to try and prevent humans from finding the existence of Gorilla City. Grodd uses his force of mind to understand how to use the force of mind to make people do what he wants, basically mind control, uh, from Solovar. He finds Solovar at a circus, uses his force of mind on him, learns the ability to do this, and he wants to use that to go back to Gorilla City to make the gorillas there under his whim. Now, Gorilla City is a city full of you guessed it, super intelligent gorillas in Africa, hidden by a super advanced scientific mirage or camouflage field. Coolness. It's cool. It's, it's, it's kind of the Wakanda thing yeah. where it's specifically like uh, holographic, right? Yeah. Or uh, if you want to think of it in magic terms, uh, the thing that prevents Hogwarts from being seen mm-hmm. in, the, in the Harry Potter books. It's all awesome and very fun science fiction-y. It's, it's gorillas. It's gorillas that are super intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry, of course, stops this. Uh, as one would. Nothing really special. He just beats the crap out of Grodd. Um, yeah. It, it didn't feel like a very creative yeah. bit of fight choreography, but... The, eh, the coolest thing was Gorilla City in this, yeah. and that was really like, you can't you can't very well top super intelligent gorillas with mind control powers in any sort of fashion with flash abilities. And that's, that's actually the only... It's the second location that gets developed in this comic. Because yeah. we don't have, like, recurring uh, coffee shops or anything. It's, no. like, the only place that we see repeatedly is just the city as a whole. So that, that brings up a good point. And we're going to take a, just a moment here aside from the summary that I want to bring up. Extraneous sub-locations that are continuously visited in, mm-hmm. in D.C. that we have seen. For instance, Venus and Mars in the Golden Age, as well as Paradise Island. In the Silver Age, we have Quard mm-hmm. and Gorilla City. So you have those four or five interesting locations that we continually go back to. Like the JSA went to Mars and Venus and saw the Queen of Venus. And right. uh, we had the God of Mars continually showing up um, in the Wonder Woman books. So you've got these locations that continually show up that are outside of Coast, Gotham, Metropolis, Central... DC, things like that. So it's just a little interesting fact that we're starting to develop secondary locations. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Oh, also Oa, I guess. Oa yeah. counts. Yeah. Because you uh, see Atlantis, it frequently. Yeah, yeah, Atlantis too. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So there's about six or seven now of mainstay DC locations that are common in the DC lexicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, second story in Flash number 106 The Pied Piper 
is the first appearance of the Pied Piper, who's another Rogues Gallery member for The Flash. So, uh, just a quick list off of the Rogues members. Dr. Alchemy, Captain Cold, the Mirror Master, and the Pied Piper. That's four of the Rogues Gallery that have shown up. If you count Gorilla Grodd, you can, but I don't really count Grodd because he doesn't work with the Rogues on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I don't think of him as a Rogue. Right. It's actually kind of interesting. I, I, I don't remember offhand, uh, but the actual, like, first appearance of the rogues is still a surprisingly oh yes 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 yes. um so the pied piper uses a sonic pipe or flute to either make people do what he wants them to do or to use sonic attacks to create holes in the ground or to blast back the flash uh pretty cool uh he's dressed goofily in basically a christmas elf outfit with music notes on it but uh, that will change. Uh, the Pied Piper actually looks yeah. a lot more like Dr. Alchemy in the comics later in The Flash. Uh, yeah. Mainly because this outfit's stupid. Yeah. I mean, look, I have, I, I'm sorry, I hate to be that guy, but I don't think any of the Rogues Gallery members look that great. I would say Heatwave. <laughs> At wave. least costume design. Heatwave, yes. Heatwave is basically wearing a fire retardant suit. I think the Mirror Master suit's okay, minus his weird looking hood. Captain Cold's kind of cool looking. It, it fits it's like... iconic, but it 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 infantilizes him. To yeah, it, it does make him a little kid-like. I like Dr. Alchemy's look. It's cool. It's it's mystic. It doesn't really fit him, but it's mystic-like, <laughs> and I kind of enjoy that. Uh, also, important note in Flash 106, the Pied Piper story, they, they drop this little characterization moment. Barry and Iris are engaged. That's right, yeah. yeah. So they are really committed to this relationship just another mm-hmm. instance of showing that they are very close and very much in love flash number 107 july 1959 the return of gorilla city as solovar tells the flash that grod has escaped his imprisonment grod is now on a sort of like journey to the center of the earth location which is just this giant zone inside the earth's crust where these bird people live like they specifically say that it's a hollow earth yeah. like that earth has is just a shell it's a and hollow for, pocket yeah for for a comic that is as i guess trying to be as rooted in science as it is it actually bugs me that they're basically propping up one of the old conspiracy theories yeah. but whatever also superheroes and yeah, i mean yeah okay i mean yeah gorillas. but like i don't know like it's you know what it is? Uh, I have more of an issue with, like, a... I can't imagine a superhero comic where they were like, and this is a flat Earth. Like, just the oh, world yeah. is flat. Uh, like, for whatever reason. Like, that kind of, I guess, conspiracy theory or bad science bugs me. Uh, meanwhile, while Grodd is in this hollow Earth and causing and using his force of mind on these bird people that are definitely not Thanagarids... Definitely yeah. not Hawkmen people. They're just naked people with bird wings, which is weird. Um, he's using them to help distract the people on the surface world and get them to be an army against them while he builds his de-evolution ray. This guy must be shopping... Uh, Grodd must be shopping from the same place that the guy from Aquaman must have been making. Like, they must have got the same handbook. Like, off <laughs> so the you Acme want website. to be a supervillain. Yeah, the two of them must have bought the same Acme science handbook. Which, again... Do not think that I forgot about my shared universe theory between Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Looney Tunes back in action. I have continued to think about that, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> apparently, there's something, there's some element in the atmosphere in the Hollow Earth called Mola. That's right. The Flash yeah, uses yeah. his super speed; it crystallizes around him and just causes an extraneous way for Grodd to immobilize the Flash. Of course, Barry gets out of it, destroys the de-evolution ray, beats up Grodd. And then gives him back to Solovar, who's like, yeah, we'll be double extra careful this time, I promise. I would like to point out, though, Barry's throwing punches and yeah. doing physical things. I'm totally cool with that, because the Flash does that. And later, in the Thomas-centric stories of Green Lantern, he was throwing punches, too. So we're actually seeing mm-hmm. fighting violence. You know, I hadn't thought about that from that perspective when I was reading it, but it is interesting that we're now... I don't know whether it's just that things have changed with how they're interpreting the code, whether they think they can get away with it a little bit more, that the tastes have changed. But yeah, like we, we were seeing gimmick violence all the way up to this point and in all the other comics we looked at. It's interesting that now we've got actual, I mean, superhero violence. I think, yeah, I think the only comics in the Golden Age that we really saw superhero violence in was probably Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. So, 
Yes. Uh, punching I'm, I'm punching more... and kicking. I'm, I'm yeah, saying specifically I'm... punching and kicking yeah. in the context of being a superhero. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like, it's, it's just surprising to me more oh, that no, we just too. have a Hawk, dude, yeah. we just have, like, actual violence going on instead yeah. of... Uh, it is it is a bit strange, like, watching, watching how straight-up sucker punched that guy who was accosting Thomas at mm-hmm. Ferris Aircraft when he was just Hal, was like, whoa, Bruce or Clark would never have done that. That's a Steve oh. Trevor move. Huh. Straight up just yeah. decking a fool is mm-hmm. a Steve Trevor, you know, M.O. Which, again, both Hal and Steve Trevor are military men, so maybe they're trying to say something about the military, mm-hmm. but um, punching or throwing, it's, like, yeah. Batman kicks and punches and whatever but it's only ever under the guise of batman yeah bruce is a lazy layabout dude and even when he's bruce wayne the only time he ever fights as bruce wayne is when he's quote-unquote undercover bruce wayne when he's Mm -hmm. you know being bruce wayne in a town that isn't gotham for whatever reason like when the lumberjack story or whatever like that same thing with clark clark never lets the clark kent persona ever engage in violence Mm mm-hmm so the fact that Hal Jordan is straight up like, no, screw you, get away from my friend, punches that guy. I was like, whoa, what's up, Hal? <laughs> so that's also interesting because that's the only character, like we talked about, he's the only superhero character that we have who is the same person in In and out of costume, yeah. yeah. Although I guess Barry as well. Barry, yeah, Barry, Barry, yeah. Barry doesn't seem to be any different in and out of costume other than the fact that he's just fast. Yeah, it's he has the same moral principles. He has the same charisma. The same, like, just way of doing things. It's just I happen to be in spandex. Yeah. So yeah, maybe Barry would throw a punch had you know were the situation there. Like Barry doesn't seem to be changing who he is based off of being Barry Allen. Yeah. Like he doesn't try to make himself intentionally meek when Barry to throw off the idea that Barry might be available to do superheroics at any given moment. It's interesting that the Silver Age characters are the same in and out of costume. I would say Aquaman is as well, but he's Aquaman yeah, well, yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Uh, to huh. finish off, Flash number 107, we're going to say, we're going to do the last storyline, which is where Flash meets an android from another part of the universe who crash lands on Earth in a spaceship and forgets who he is, but tries to do good while he's on planet Earth, and Flash finds out about him because he's incredibly fast, almost faster than the Flash is. Now, the android's name is Kyrie, and when they start doing tests to help him regain his memory, specifically electroshock therapy that he agrees to, mm-hmm. I will say it's not a good therapy to use on people because you should never shock someone's brain without their consent, but Kyrie submits to it willingly. Plus, also, he's an android, so I guess it actually works. But the second he finds out who he is again because of the electroshock therapy, he loses his super speed, uh, and he says, hey... Um, I'm an android imbued with the power cosmic from these, I will point this out again, Kyrie's masters, the rulers of the galaxy, whomever these people are, they have created Kyrie to help seal up breaches between this dimension and others within space. And Kyrie says, hey, I crash landed on this planet. Um, can you help me get back and do my job? And Flash, being the amenable fellow that he is, of course does this. Helps Kyrie rebuild his ship. They fly out into space. Kyrie closes the breach in the dimension. And then says, all right, thanks, I'm going to drop you off back at Earth, and I'm going to go home. And that's kind of the end of it. But then we realize that, well, yes, Flash is still technically the fastest man alive because Kyrie was an android. Though, at the same time, Kyrie never broke the time barrier. And yeah. they just had Flash and him race around a track to, like, as a publicity stunt. And I'm like, that's not fair because Kyrie can't break the time barrier, I'm assuming. So Flash is still the fastest man alive regardless of the stupid track and field race that they do. Also, there's the point where... Uh... Barry runs faster than the speed of light and stops seeing the giant mosquito. Right. So, dude's fast. Yeah, Barry, Barry's no <laughs> slouch. And I felt like this this uh, was an intentionally handicapped race for Barry to like just be at the same speed as Kyrie, which is weird. I mean, even just one way or another, like, when someone's that fast, you can't make it a spectator sport like they did. Yeah, it was it was a very weird thing. Also, the spectator sport alone was an instigation by Iris. Which is, it's interesting, that's, I think, the only story that we deal with in this entire uh, episode that actually has Iris for any real screen time, well, any real involvement. There was it the, does the pi- feel the, like she dropped off a lot. There was the Pied Piper issue where she shows up and Barry is actually on time, actually... Yeah, he's on time to the second to dinner with her at her apartment. And then in the middle of their dinner, he disappears to fight the Pied Piper. And she's like, 
How about that? The first time Barry Allen's on time, he runs out on me. Then he comes back. He's like, "Oh, I was just getting a newspaper." And then they have their dinner. But that's but she's not involved. Yeah, in she's the not involved story, in the caper. Yeah. Not like the rocket yeah. ship in the last episode we talk about, um, or even the the story with the the, the Russian boxes. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, no, she's constantly being checked in on. Effectively, right? Like she is part of the story. It's interesting that she kind of dropped off. And also in the storyline, we do also see her workplace. She pitches the story to oh, her yeah, editor, yeah, yeah. and we also see the editor takes her incredibly seriously and trusts mm-hmm. her and likes her and says, "Good idea, Iris. We're going to do it." So at least Iris is perceived to be and shown to be a well-respected, competent journalist that everyone listens to, and they don't denigrate because she's a woman. Hooray mm-hmm. for that writing! Uh, but that is the end of our summary for this episode. We're going to move on to another character after this. So I'm assuming you have. I've notes. got notes. Uh, I think. I, I do want to, like, first, just as a kind of wrap-up thing, I think that this is indicative. The, the What we just said about good, and this is a good bit of writing in the sense that they they don't uh, play up the, oh, you're a woman denigration. It's it's just, oh, uh, here is a solid, a, a solid bit of world-building, and it just kind of happens. This is a very competently executed comic in general yeah it i i personally think would prefer like okay let's actually like focus on some parts of this of the setting uh of these characters more like i mean i you have heard me uh rant about how much i like that the first six issues of green lantern stuff uh we don't see the, any real character moments in this but it's not bad. It's just it, I I don't remember a lot of these stories. They're not going to stick with me, but right. they're solid. It's it's well done. The the superhero the superheroism in these is better than in Green Lantern, but Green Lantern had better interpersonal situations than it did have superheroism. Yes. I think that's the trade-off. Yeah. It actually made it a little difficult at times uh when prepping for this episode because it, there isn't a lot to latch on to. There isn't a lot that is obviously great or obviously bad. This is just kind of a, a well-executed bit of storytelling. They're good comics. They're just not great comics, and there's nothing bad about yeah, them. Yeah, there's nothing wacky crazy in them. Other than, I mean, yeah, we could talk about the mosquito <laughs> and the gross minotaur that was just yeah. disgusting and wrong. Um <laughs> The Pipe Piper's stupid outfit. I mean, the Mirror Master is an interesting character, and I like him, and I'm glad that he's around because he's he, there's different iterations of the Mirror Master that are good. Um, Grodd. I mean, the fact that Grodd's a character is really interesting. I I did not realize that Grodd would be so early in the yeah. Flash mythos. I think really for me that's surprising that he's what the the third named villain that the Flash fights that is a recognizable forever used villain. And immediately becomes a mainstay. Like there right. are three, three issues in a row that have one of their two stories is Grodd. Right, and we haven't seen Cold since he disappeared or yeah. since he appeared. We've seen Mister Element, aka Doctor Alchemy, twice. Him and Grodd have had the most villain screen time because mm-hmm. the Mirror Master, Captain Cold, and the Pied Piper all show up once and then disappear, but. Grodd has much more of a arch-villain vibe going for him yeah. because he breaks out of Gorilla City and is a thing that they call the Flash to deal with. So he's kind of like the weird Lex Luthor of the situation. He he brings world-building with him. Right. Yeah, like just the fact you've got Gorilla City. Like, I, I honestly think you could make a good argument that the strength of a supervillain in early appearances is how much they expand the world, how many things yeah. they add, how many index cards... Uh, get pinned to the wall because they get at it. Right, and they spend at least two pages explaining Gorilla City being invisible, where yeah. Gorilla City is, the fact that they've got this like mental communications array that they that Solovar uses to contact the Flash, uh, because he doesn't actually know what the Flash looks like. He just says we you know we detected his mind, and now we have to find his mind out in the world. So they use this weird like semi cerebro from X Men technology to find the Flash again and contact him. They use two thirds of a page. Detailing essentially the filing system that they use, yeah, to find people's was like mental code frequency, yeah, something like that. It's really interesting that, yeah, I think I think that's a good 
way of putting it is the value of a villain in the Silver Age is how much world building they add, which kind of makes me excited for Sinestro. Yeah. Because he's going to just add on to Oa and Quard and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah these, are, these are good. They're not spectacular. They're also not bad. Yeah. But they're exactly what they say on the tin. Mm-hmm. Flash comics. In the in the most barest sense of the word, this is Flash. As this is as much the Flash as Batman was at the end of Batman when we were reading him in the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. He is right out the gate exactly what the Flash is. Green Lantern still has many decades to go before he becomes what Green Lantern really is in the comics. But Flash right now, a fast guy who deals with scientific bad guys who have weird things on a talking gorilla and is engaged to a reporter. Yep, that's the Flash. Mm-hmm. That is exactly who that character is. One thing I will throw in there, this is Barry Allen Flash. Uh, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I, I was going through my head, like, you know, why isn't he cracking jokes? Like, there's a part of his character that isn't there, and it's like, no, uh, that's Barry. Flash. Yeah, that's that's definitely Barry. So whenever people go, like, well, they're watching the Flash TV show, and they're like, why is it, you know, oh, I love how funny Barry is. And now, I'm okay with how goofy Barry is in the TV show, because, frankly... A nerd now would have that pop culture humor. A nerd back in the 60s and 70s would be a straight-up egghead. Yeah, I mean, and, and he also, like, he doesn't come across as much of a nerd. Yeah, know. it's not, not even he's just, nerdy. He's just an intellectual, yeah, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. Um, he is a smart guy doing smart guy stuff. Yeah, and that's and that's great, and I like that. Um, the fact that in the television show, Wally is the cool one is basically the translation of Wally being the funny guy. Hmm. you know cool equals funny smart equals nerdy and funny like you could kind of balance that kind of thing out so I'm yeah you're right there it did feel like maybe something was missing but it's it's also a time period sort of thing and cultural sort of thing like we're used to seeing that but also the flash that everyone is mostly familiar with because of before the flash tv show live action tv show was wally and yeah, justice league was, and justice league unlimited right uh, even uh Wally Kid Flash in Young Justice before the Flash live action television show. It's Wally in there. Um, having a Barry Allen that is a wisecracker, much like we'll probably see in the Justice League film, much like we see in the live action Flash television show, used to grate on me um, because I was like, Barry's not the funny one, it's Wally. But at the same time, he's not, Barry's not the life of the party funny. He's not Hal Jordan funny. He's not can carry a party from being shitty to awesome. Barry is a good friend funny. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, with that, let's dig in. Yeah. Let's start with this because this isn't. So this is an interesting little exercise uh, <clears throat> that I kind of want to talk through. Um, right. When we started getting hyped about the transition over to the Silver Age, when we were talking about what we were looking forward in the Silver Age, we talked a little bit about like more continuity. And I don't think we've seen that because what we're seeing is more stuff that's in continuity, certainly. Uh, and we do have like developing status quos. But the... The thing that we aren't seeing is stories that are meant to be viewed as part of a timeline rather than episode, episodic. Right. Uh, and first off, I I am curious because I I don't know when the when stories become that when comics are like now we th- any any given comic even a even a story arc is part of an ongoing story and that is how you're meant to view it like certainly you can pick up a graphic novel and read it but it has the the volume number on the back or on the spine right you you put it in the you put it in your book your bookshelf and you've got four other volumes next to it it is consciously aware and telling you that it is part of an ongoing story and we don't have that and I don't know exactly when that gets added in uh, I think that might be the case in like maybe as late as like the mid 1970s and and i wouldn't be surprised if that's where it was because you've also got to give into account we've only really read two years of the silver age mm-hmm. you know across these three characters and that's 
12 issues. You know, because the first year, they're trying to see if these guys will sell. So, and I'm okay with that, but yeah, I definitely agree that there isn't an issue... Like, issues 1 through 6 are this storyline. You know, um, in common comic parlance today, the first appearance of Gorilla Grodd would be six issues. Mm-hmm. It would be yeah. like... The first two issues are, what the hell is this? And then the next two issues would be, oh my god, a talking gorilla. And then the, the next two issues would be, okay, here's how we stop him. Mm-hmm. We're not getting that. And We're getting that full thing in one half issue. And even beyond that, you would still have B-plots running in the background that are carryovers from past stories. There would be character development right. uh, and new crises, new developments going on that have uh, rippled through the past 12 years. We, do, You could not have Claremont at this point. Uh, no, it would not work. <laughs> you would, Claremonting as a verb is not something that's happening it, right it now. It would definitely not work, but we're definitely going to get Stan Leeing. This, this is so Leeing. That's, that's yeah. the thing. Is uh, I, I did like I basically jumped around and just looked at comics from a couple different... I think actually, actually just uh, Flash Comics uh, jumping around like, oh, what what's issue number 250 like? Get... 300 are there is there that kind of uh stan leeing and the answer is like i didn't see anything consistent until mid-1970s but spider-man like from the more or less from the get-go like you've got gwen stacy getting introduced you've got gwen stacy's uh dad dying and then of course the death of gwen stacy uh that's happening so much earlier there's that ongoing momentum uh, our story momentum in those comics so much earlier than on the DC side of it, and I, I don't know. Like this is all like spot well, checking and stuff, but I I speculate that's because DC's mandate was to just make comics. And Stan Lee was coming from a, a company and trying to shake it up. These mm-hmm. guys are trying to shake it up with character. Stan Lee is trying to shake it up with story. I think they're trying to do Ooh. two different things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to say, how do we reinvent the superhero genre character so that they're interesting to a new crop of people who have different interests than when they did in the 30s and 40s? That's DC's thing. Which is why the characters take off. I think what Stan Lee and his group are trying to do at this time are, how do we make comics a better read that make them perceived differently and more seriously? I think it's just two different sides of a coin, and they should just all be. They should just realize they're on the same coin. Yeah. So I I do agree with that. One, th- I I do especially like that focus on uh, story versus character, uh, and I'm I don't know. Do do we call that continuity? What 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 term do we use for story momentum or whatever? Where serialization? I would say. A serialized yeah. story. Yeah. 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 As much as any television show could be at the time, I would say uh, The Avengers, the British version with John <laughs> Steed and Adam Appeal, more so than uh, like Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. You know, Lone Ranger, that's serialization. The characters are pretty two dimensional, but there is story and continuity and something you can read from time to time or watch that is like, oh, that guy's back versus. I guess, honestly, Superman. It's mm-hmm. Superman. Everything is just set dressing around him. You're watching this for Superman. Mm-hmm. You're reading this for Green Lantern. You're reading this for The Flash. Everything else can come and go. That's why we have villains like that in DC Comics that get picked up and dropped. Because they're not important, the character is. It's Gardner Fox. <laughs> Screw it, it's not important. What's important is that he punches a Venusian that's, three feet, that's like 300 feet tall. There is that. Yeah, I do like uh, serialization as yeah. that term, the ongoing story effect. So, yeah, I do like that term. Remember in a previous, ep- uh, yes, previous episode, I almost said issue. Yeah, almost did. It's fine. I, it's fine. I, I, I doubted myself at the wrong time. Uh, I mentioned that I was kind of surprised that Flash and the reinvention of Flash came so quickly after the comics code, and... Uh, 1956 versus 1954 was when the Comics Code uh, was first put out there. Uh, And I can't believe I didn't think of this, but uh, of course, uh, because superhero comics weren't like targeted implicitly or explicitly by by the Comics Code, there wasn't really anything in there that 
you would need to cut. So, of course, there's that market void that, oh, we can, yeah, we have to cut all of the scary stuff but and all the sexy stuff. But, yeah, let's let's, let's try comics, this again. Superhero comics? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. If so. this is all that they can buy, might as well kind yep. of a thing. Yeah, I yeah. can see that happening. All right. Now we get to the unpleasant stuff. Um, so, uh Behind the curtain, uh, we are recording this. Uh, I think two two weeks before it goes out. So th- today is it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's it's the twentieth, something like that. It's a day. Uh, it's the nineteenth. It's the nineteenth. Yeah, uh, so it's the nineteenth. And we are remember we have sort of talked about it in the background, uh, and it is important for us to talk about now, especially uh, because of something I'm about to bring up. Uh, there is a whole bunch of people being brought to task for past sexual harassment, sexual assault. Correct. Which, good. Uh, I'm glad that this is uh, happening. I'm glad. I know it is probably very traumatic uh, for a lot of people, and that sucks. Uh, victims shouldn't have to relive, but I'm, I am glad that people who have people who have done wrong are being held to task. It's about damn time. Fuck yes. Um, do your duty. Help your friends. Listen to women and men. Yeah. Yep. Don't don't think yeah. just because you're men or just because they are men they cannot be sexually assaulted. Same with folks who are non non-binary. Yeah. Uh, same with folks gender who queer. are tra- uh, gender queer or trans. Uh, just listen to people. Yeah. Uh, so here's where we get to us doing that as well because sure. Julius Schwartz. Yeah. Yep. And I would not have known that Julius Schwartz is an accused, or was, I mean, he's dead now, uh, was an accused uh, sexual harasser. Yes. Repeated just a number of times. It sounds like that was just the way he acted pretty much nonstop. So, and I would, first off, uh, shout out to uh, the BuzzFeed article about uh, Eddie Briganza's serial harassment. Yes. Because if I. I I would not have known this about Julius Schwartz if it weren't for that article. So I would not have either. Yeah, that was a good, that's a good call out. No, I mean, it it sucked in the way that something that has to that should be known sucks. Uh, because I mean, before learning that, I was actually going. To, I was seriously considering like getting his biography and reading through because I he's the link between all the Silver Age comics that we've done. They, they were within his fiefdom. He is the editor for... Uh, he is the editor who pushes the relaunch of Flash. He's the one who hand, is editing for, I think, Aquaman, but definitely uh, Green Lantern. Uh, and he's the person that people talk about when it's, like, who actually did the Silver Age relaunches. Uh, they certainly talk about the writers as well, but, like... He was in charge. Yeah, he, he was the he was the guy in charge. He was the guy in charge, and specifically, like editors at that point were the ones who were like, "Here's the story outline." Uh, writers were scripters uh, rather than the writer being the one who has like the big storyline uh, in play. And it sucks that this is the man who launched the Silver Age. His comics were the inspiration for Marvel's own innovations. Uh, he fixed Batman when its sales were dropping badly. He came up with the JLA. And he was a serial harasser. And it felt like because we are talking about the history of comics, it's important to talk about the parts of it that are covered up, uh, that people try to forget. Uh, And what I'm going to try to do going forward uh, as a learning from this is, uh, to quote the adage about writing, uh, kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. So two parts to that. First... No hero, no creator, no creation is above judgment. Doesn't matter what they made, doesn't matter what they did. Any biography of Julius Schwartz should include the allegations of sexual harassment. Yes. Uh, that is an important thing I'm going to have to keep in mind. No, nobody gets nobody gets a pedestal. Uh, second, there is a key word in there, darlings. Uh, if there's anything I've taken from the recent outing of harassers, it's that they don't fit the portraits of monsters. They're normal people. Uh I'm going to tangent here, but one of the most important things that I've learned about World War II was how many war crimes and mass killings were perpetrated on the Eastern Front 
by regular Wehrmacht divisions, not SS troopers, regular army folks. Uh, it's not that these harassers are monsters, they, but though they did monstrous things. They are normal people who were enabled by a patriarchal culture, and they chose to cross boundaries and harass. Uh, I think it's important that it is something that's important for me to keep in mind that humans, normal humans, do awful things sometimes. Instead of being like, "Oh, only this is this is the here lie monster or monsters be here, yeah, uh, here there be dragons, yeah," uh, and. I, I know that I am often guilty of saying, oh, that thinking that only true, like, obviously awful people or secretly awful people can do awful things. Uh, so, one way or another, that's stuff that I'm trying to keep in mind when I am trying to improve myself uh, in the wake of everything that's going on. So, right. yep. and, and, I, and I will say, there is a there is some importance to looking at historically contextually important things with of course the caveat you know buyer beware when you're reading about this just know that this is a bad person it's how i look mm -hmm. at marsden yeah you know marsden did a fantastic thing by giving us wonder woman which has led to something so incredibly important for women around the world yes it's not a perfect thing but it's beautiful and it should be looked at within the lens of empowering women marsden himself was a scumbag not because he was inherently a bad person. He was a bad guy who was brought about by the time period in which he grew socially and was trying to do well, but he was, if in essence, a bad ally. That's Marsden in a nutshell, as a guy who tried to do well but was kind of smarmy and scammy. And you should know that when you look at Marsden as a human being. Think about that, especially when you look at your heroes or the people you look up to really really analyze when you hear bad stuff about them and know that you should always take everything and every person that you look up to with a grain of salt no one's perfect no one is above reproach and when they do bad things remember that it's especially interesting i think on a i mean interesting in so many definitions of the word i suppose uh because i i from what I've read, I really do think that he is the one person, maybe the most responsible for the modern, ver not just the modern versions of superheroes, but like them that being the comics yeah. that I care about. Right. Because it's I, you can draw a direct line from uh, Julius Schwartz and his Silver Age comics to find uh, the Fantastic Four and the Stan Lee model of storytelling that I so much appreciate. And then, yeah, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to throw that baby out. Uh, yeah. And that, that's been one of the interesting things in the wake of all of this is figuring out better how to deal with the things that are made by people who we later learn were yeah. awful in various ways. And yeah. Take the bad with the good, never forget the good, but always remember the bad. Yeah. Honestly, that's a good way of summing it up. Yeah. It's learn what you can, evolve where you can, but never forget the things that are important because you should never you should never try and shout down someone's experience just because you like someone. Yep. And that's that, it. We're geeks, we're nerds, yeah, and we've seen that happen a lot. Please yeah. don't do that. Please don't do that just because it's a hobby, just because it's a thing that you like. Don't mm -hmm. don't be shitty to other humans just because you don't want your fictional thing tarnished. Your identity should not be determined by your consumerist choices. Yes. <laughs> we got off topic, I'm we, sorry. We did, but uh, honestly, like, I'm, I'm fine with that because I don't have a whole hell of a lot do else. Do you want to go to recommendations then? Uh, one bit more. Okay, I do cool. have fun notes. It, may, it might be an urban legend, but Julius Schwartz may have had a file charting sales of comics with gorillas on the cover nice. versus comics without. Nice. Uh, there's also a... Uh, uh, there's a... Possibly also an urban legend, but uh, there may have been a rule of no more than one DC comic per month with a gorilla cover to avoid oversaturating. <laughs> and uh, everything is like linking back to, oh, I heard this story on this other article, but yeah. goddamn it. 
Like, I'd buy Gorilla it. Grodd shows up, and for the next three issues, one of the two stories is always about him. I would buy it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I could see that being a real thing. Uh, looking ahead, uh, the Flash Pantheon is going to fill out really quickly. Mm. Apparently, Kid Flash shows up in 110, uh, and we're on uh, 107. 107 at the end of it. Captain Boomerang is 117, Trickster 113, Cosmic Treadmill, hey, issue 125. There we go, baby. Yeah. Uh, also, this was interesting, and I kind of want to call it out. Uh, the justification that Barry has for keeping his secret identity secret. It's for the mystique. Yeah. It, rather than it being like the Spider-Man thing of protect your, protect your friends, uh, it's explicitly just he thinks that the more, I guess, human isn't quite the right word, but the more mundane yeah. and understood the Flash is, uh, the less effective he'll be at fighting criminals. Criminals won't, will see, oh, he, I, I've read his Wikipedia article and I know where he went to school kind of stuff. Yeah, I could see that. It, the, it, the more mysterious that he is, the, the scarier he becomes because we always fear the unknown. I totally understand that. Yeah, I, I think it also makes sense then that with that as the explanation that later on we're going there uh it's always been the case in my mind that barry and iris are open about his or with amongst themselves about his secret identity it's yeah. not something he keeps secret from her like we've had uh peter keep it secret from mary jane at points you know clark clark and lois and bruce and every woman yeah, <laughs> Bruce has issues. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting. Uh, one last thing, and this was my dumb little bit of quantification for the day. Uh, one thing we saw in the Golden Age was arbitrary background changes. Like mm. there'd be a, a close-up of Joker being uh, his like upper body against a blue background, and then the very next panel would have a green background. Right. Just arbitrary stuff like that. We do still see some of that in the in the Silver Age. Uh, because it's still useful to establish uh, dynamism and different emotions in different panels, but it's less common. Uh, I was comparing the Mirror Master story and uh, the Batman comic in Detective Comics number 64. Uh, five versus 11 of those changes in background color. Hmm. Uh, and both were in 13-page stories. So first off, wow, that's a whole lot of panels where things change yeah. uh, in... Batman stuff, well, effectively about one a page. But that's weird. Whatever, Bob Kane. <laughs> Your circle fetish. God, that's right. I forgot about that. Never forget. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll do we'll do recommendations. Yeah. I actually read some stuff that I can recommend. I started reading Boom Studios WWE line. Um, oh, nice. So the first volume is about Seth Rollins. And not bad. That's um, right. That's right. I will definitely say that the interesting thing about this entire comic structure is the way in which it treats it almost as if wrestling is happening in real life. Um, you, if you're if you're a wrestling fan, you know that certain things happen and, and it's scripted, and how certain things were scripted because you do interviews. Um, However, there is also in this comic the Wyatt family driving a monster truck through a yacht party uh, to get to Seth Rollins. So That makes me happy. That's like not a thing that happened in real life because they'd get arrested because then once he beats them up, they run away like no one's going to call the police. But the idea that wrestling is an industry, a business, and that they work at it. However, also they get to do what is effectively superhero-esque you know, nonsense with no repercussions. So it's an interesting sort of mix of the real and the fantasy. And I also found a series on, I think it's Image, uh, called Ringside, which is a very realistic take about hmm. professional wrestling. It's about a guy who's a retired wrestler, and they show like kind of what kayfabe is like, um, what it's like being a retired wrestler, how you live off of your merchandise, how you live off of appearances. Does he train anybody because of who, is, uh, because of who he used to be? Does he use his name to get clients or be a manager it's very interesting um i only read the first issue i'm going to keep reading it just because i want to see what it's like but they're two very different takes on professional wrestling and i think that's kind of neat if you're interested yes there are wrestling comics and you can get them nice uh i am going to recommend i haven't read much in the way of comics lately 
but I am going to recommend a travel writer. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but Kamikaze Kangaroos is... Yes. uh, I guess the back of the book summary of that one specifically, uh, Guy goes to Australia to go on a road trip with his sister and his sister's best friend in a beat up VW I, I think it's VW van I think it was a VW van named Rusty nice uh, and just this is the guy misadventures happen to <laughs> he's the guy like just him talking about going uh, in through US customs in a different mm-hmm. book it's things just happen to him people just latch on to him weird people weird travel experiences the the van breaks down a ton uh, they they do, in fact, uh, have a close encounter with a kangaroo that runs out in front of them. Uh, like you do. Yep. Uh, because kangaroo are basically rats and deer. But it's really enjoyable uh, misadventure writing, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Dig yeah. it. I think that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Uh, again, thank you all for listening. We hope you're enjoying this Flash uh, quality, quality content. But we're next going to be moving on to the Martian Manhunter, and I think we're we're both kind of like really interested to see what that is because I've never read Martian Manhunter comics ever, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of excited to see what those are like in the Silver Age, and then kind of have that grounding for when we move forward. Um, but we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Stay in the know. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. Barry Allen was a true change of pace for us. The wide-eyed exuberance of Aquaman and cavalier attitude of Green Lantern seemed to temper in the science fantasy of the Scarlet Speedster's adventures. True, there was some depth missing to this Flash's character, but like any great science experiment, it would require patience for the desired outcome to occur. So, we left it alone bid our farewells and tried to figure out how the hell we were going to get back to the office from Central City. Before we had decided on our mode of transportation, we were approached by another detective.